Imagine making the biggest decision of your life. Whether that decision is choosing the university that you want to attend, or accepting a job offer, or even deciding to whom you're gonna get married. Do you know what is the driving factor in all these three instances? Believe it or not, the benefits, the perks that comes from choosing. We all weigh the pros and cons because they are significantly important for us because they shape our lives. Picture this, just imagine, you just graduated from the university. You just landed an interview of your dream job. And as you sit across the person from HR, you are asked, well, what is your expected starting salary? Feeling confident, you say, well, I'm thinking about 250,000 a year, depending on the benefits. The HR person smiles to you and says, well, let's talk about benefits then. How about five weeks of paid vacation, 14 paid holidays, full medical and dental coverage, a retirement fund that matches up to 50% your salary, and let's say a red Corvette leased to you every two years. How that sounds? To which you say, are you kidding me? And the person says, yes, but you started first. <laughs> well, this scenario might be amusing, funny, and uh, not real. Who knows? It highlights the importance that we place on benefits. How important is those benefits for us to make life decisions? But what if I told you that there is a package, there is a benefits package that surpasses all others that you cannot imagine? One package that never expires, never wanes, never discriminates if you are a man or a woman, race. This extraordinary package is yours. You own it. It's yours in faith because of the faith that you place on Jesus Christ. And that's exactly the subject that we're going to talk about this morning. The divine benefits that we got in Christ. Which are those? Well, this is the big idea of this sermon this morning. In Christ, we find unshakable hope, unconditional love, and unbreakable security. These three benefits we find in Romans, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. These benefits are not only eternal, but also are given for free to you. You don't have to pay anything. You just need to accept it. They are not rewarded, rewards for us because of our behavior or performance. Those are gifts from our loving Father, God. And they are not confined to Romans chapter 1 that talks about sin or Romans chapter 2 and 3 that talks about 
justification is actually in chapter 5 all the way to chapter 8 that talks about the benefits of the justification that we have in Christ. So in these 11 verses, we are going to focus and explore the concept of boasting. Don't get panicked. The last time if you were here, you heard me saying that is boasting is excluded a justification. But now on chapter 5, Paul is telling us that there are certain things that we can boast about. Not in our performances, not in our achievements, not in our skills, but we can boast in whatever God is and what he is giving us as a reward, as a, as a gift. So let's open our Bibles in Romans chapter 5. And let me, let me tell you what we can expect. We're going to examine three transformational benefits that God provides. And I mentioned it before, uncheckable hope, unconditional love, and unbreakable security. Those are not just theological concepts. Actually, they are realities that will impact now our lives. And also, they are a promise for the future as well. So let's dive in, Romans 5, verses 1. And let me start with the first divine benefit, which is about hope. We have an unshakable hope. In Romans 5, 1, Paul started with this simple word, therefore. And I want you to mark that word, and this is an advice that I got from one of my dear professors at Dallas Seminary, Dr. Howard Hendricks. When he says, always pay attention to the therefores in the Bible. Because there is a therefore for the therefore. And I'm never going to forget that. So, therefore is a word that is connecting the new ideas to exactly what he just said previously. And this is what we find here. This word serves like a linchpin in some ways, tying together the themes from sin, salvation, and sanctification all the way in the first eight chapters in Romans. Today we're going to focus on the first benefit, and this is unshakable hope. The assurance of righteousness that we have in Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, this is future. No, this is past tense. This is something that happened in the past and will continue to the present. This is not something that you're going to get one day when the good Lord wants. He wants to give it to you now. He gave it to you when you trusted in Christ. And he wants you to enjoy it every single moment of your life. It's a past accomplishment. Different Bible translations use the term justified. And also other translations included the verse declared righteous. You were declared positionally righteous, just, innocent. Remember? You were declared righteous. We talk about this when we mention about justification. Sharing the truth of our righteousness doesn't stem from good deeds. It's just because of God's grace. So beyond that, we're going to be talking about this incredible blessing that spring forth to this divine justification. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that was not merely 
a passport to go to heaven. That was not your ticket to go to heaven. It's an invitation to change, to immediately change and enjoy the blessings that the Lord is bestowing upon you right here, right now as well. So this is not some fleeting bonuses that you're going to get at, at the end of the year. This is something that you can have right now. You may wonder, what set of blessings are this? I'm glad you ask. Because here we find two different categories. The first two are foundational blessings, and the last two are lived experiences. The, the former are the immutable truth about the relationship that we have with God, and the later ones are the real world manifestation of those truths in our daily life. The first one is what you got, the other one is how can you use them. So let's see those foundational blessings. Right here in verse 1 and verse 2. Think of this as your DNA, a spiritual DNA, something that is not changing, something that is forming the core of who you are in Christ. And the first one is peace. Peace with God. Mark the word with. It's not just peace of God. We're familiar with that phrase. We read Ephesians and we have the peace of God. But in here is with God. And that's important. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Within the, the, the word peace, if you, if you go to verse 1, and then we're going to see in verse 11, the word peace in some ways are the bookends of the whole bracket, the whole chapter that we're going to be studying today. We're going to start with the peace of God, with God, and then we're going to end up with reconciliation, which is actually the word peace. We are reconciled with him. We are at peace with him. So it's very interesting that the, the, the way that Paul is, is structuring this. So to help us understand this, we're going to explore the unit of thought intentionally crafted by the author, in this case, Paul. It's easy to gloss over with that with, right? Because we read it and we think about the peace of God. But how important is to understand that this peace is an objective peace. We were once at war with God. We were enemies of God. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when we place our faith in him, God orchestrated a peace treaty between humanity and himself. It's a peace treaty signed by blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, declaring us righteous, ending the hostilities between us and God and bringing us together. That's the peace with God that we're talking about. But don't get confused. Many people think that God is uh, kind of a stereotype like Mr. Rogers. Remember that little show that you love to see? Very peaceful, very perfect, very nice. And we think about God that way. And sometimes we are domesticating the God that we believe because, yes, he is loving and he is caring, but God is just and he is holy. And sometimes we forget that. And it's important. Paul is telling us here that we need to remember that. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He has wrath, divine wrath, to punish sin. As C.S. Lewis tells us, God is not safe even though he offers salvation. So we are not entitled to peace with God. That is his prerogative. That's his gift to us by divine grace. 
So the profound nature of this peace is important. Because this peace that we're talking about is something far deeper than just the absence of conflict. When we pray for peace in the Middle East, we need to pray not only for the cease of fire, but also for something deeper, which is the perfect shalom, 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 which is not just peace, but complete well-being. This is the peace that God provides when we are at peace with him. And this is an astonishing act of grace. It's nothing that we deserve. It's nothing that we earn because of our performance, our reviews. Because if they, God is giving us a review, the first one here in front of you will fail. We're all going to fail. Nobody meets the standard of God, that standard of perfection. So as we unpack these divine benefits, let's start marveling at this foundational peace with God that we enjoy. That's one of the first blessings of this first benefit. The second blessing of this first benefit is access to God. In verse 2, we read, through whom, talking about Jesus, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. The word introduction here in the NASB is really important. I prefer the word access because that's the intention of the original Greek. Is the word access, which is more potent because we're talking about the Paul is using it in different places. He's declaring that Christ's work on the cross grants us a direct access to God himself. No more intermediaries. Remember, back in the day in the Old Testament, we learned that God was restricted to the presence of people. Their tabernacle and later the temple was divided in different courts. That was a court for the Gentiles that were really outside. Then the Jewish people, they were kind of in the middle part, but not close. And only the priests were closer to the Holy Holies. Only one person had access to the Holy Holies. So that was separation. That was restrictions. When Christ died on the cross, we read in the Gospels that the veil that separates the Holy of Holies with the rest of the temple was turned down from top to bottom, not from bottom to up. That was a miraculous place. The dividing wall that separates people and God was divided, turned out, through Jesus. And this is what we see here. This is not an ordinary access, my friends. We are not very allowed. We have been ushered in. This is a royal invitation into the king's presence, a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand firm. That's the meaning of standing in grace, in the grace that we stand. Standing tall in grace in which we stand is not that we are in the presence of the Lord kind of a shy, curved like this, or crawling because we don't deserve to be there. No, you can stand strong in front of him, thanks to what Christ did for you. It's because of him that we can start standing firm in front of him, enjoying the privilege and the access that we have before the Lord. We don't think about that very often. If we decided to speak with a personality, either a political personality or the movie's personality, 
Sometimes we even cry when we are closer to that eminence. But that's nothing in comparison with this person of God. And we are no longer separated. We don't need a priest anymore to come closer to him. We are the priest, and we have the summa pontificia, which is Jesus Christ, the one who represents us. Because of him, we have direct access to him. We are standing firmly, continuously, and eternally. Long time ago, I injured myself in my lower back. And when I was being taken to physical therapy, one of the first things that the person was doing with me is asking me to stand and open my legs like this. And as I was standing, he says, okay, you need to be standing firm. And I remember he coming and pushing me, and I didn't move, even though it didn't hurt that much. And he said, this is the position that you need to continuously try to think when you need to stand. You no longer stand like this. You're going to be standing like that so you can protect your back. That's an interesting, interesting analogy because this is what Paul is having in mind here. Thanks to what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, we not only have access directly to the Lord, but we are standing strong, and whatever comes to our way is just going to move us a little bit, but we're going to remain standing firm. That's the promise that he's given us. This is the benefit that we're enjoying. Isn't that amazing? The importance of standing firm in God's grace, regardless of life challenges, is that he is the one who makes us strong. So these two benefits are the important blessings. Let me show to you the other two. Live experience that we find in verses 2 through 5. As we continue this journey through the book of Romans, think about this experience. The emotions and feelings that you have. The first one are our position. We have peace with God and we are having access before him and standing strong. Now, how that translates in our daily living. In those lived experiences, we have two things. And the two things are combined with one word. Joy. Rejoice. We rejoice in hope. Look at Verse 2 in chapter 5. We exalt in hope of the glory of God. Now let's take a moment to connect these dots. Our peace with God ensures us our past sins are forgiven and forgotten. Our access to God gives us the privilege to draw near to him in the present. But our hope in the glory of God is going to happen in the future. So this assurance that we have today will bask in his radiant splendor. This is, this is a, a purpose of be joyful because we're securing him and we're enjoying this hope that he's providing for us. So that's why he's saying, if you're going to boast on something, don't boast on your personal accomplishment. Boast on what Christ did for you and he is giving you as a benefit of your relationship with him. That's where the word rejoice comes. Exult, boast. In the past, we read that Paul was talking about in a negative sense, don't boast about those things. But here, he's using it in a positive sense, presenting Jesus Christ as the object of this boasting that we're doing. So the word rejoice in this verse can be translated boast. 
So in Christ we boast, not in ourselves, but in his righteousness. Hope, Alpis in Greek, joyful, confident expectation rooted in God's promises because he said we believe. So no longer, as Romans 3.23 tells us the last time, no longer do we fall short for the glory of God. Now we look forward to sharing that glory because of Christ. So those fruits of justification are not just some theological concept. Those are realities that we can enjoy today. So let's think on all this. Peace, the peace, the grace, the joy, the hope, the glory. And that leads us to the next one, which is important in verse 3. Not only we rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ, we rejoice in our tribulations, in our suffering. That's kind of an oxymoron. How can we rejoice on the sufferings? That connects us back to James, remember? Rejoice, brothers and sisters, when you are facing any kind of trials. Paul is saying the same thing here. In the life that you're going to be living, you're going to find a lot of trials and tribulations. Sometimes it's in the storm that teaches the most valuable things that we need to learn. Sometimes those moments are the ones who make us endure and stand firm because we're learning to rely on him. Verse 3 tells us, and not only this, but we also exalt in all tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proving character, and proving character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In this Christian journey, suffering, brothers and sisters, is not a detour. Is like someone wiser than me said, it's, it's a rite of passage. It's something that we all have in common. And that will bring us about spiritual growth. Sufferings, afflictions, distresses, pressures, like the olives in the olive press produce oil, like the grapes. When they are smashed, produce the wine. This pressing is not pleasant, but this pressure is necessary. And this is what is hard for us to understand because we have a bad theology of suffering. Do you know that? We have any pain, and immediately we want a painkiller. But Paul is telling us here, suffering will bring you what you need to stand firm. So don't avoid it. Embrace it. And have joy. Exalt from it. Because something great will come up out of it. Now we can understand Romans 8.28, the one that we love to memorize. Because all things happen for the good. As we believe. This is exactly what he's thinking. Everything happened for a reason. And the main reason is that the Lord is going to make us grow and mature. Paul presents the incredible perspective in suffering here. It's like the gym of the soul, designed to strengthen us, 
Imagine, imagine life, the trials that, that, that we have. Imagine, I have a, a set of weights in my office that occasionally I use. Thank you so much, sweetie. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for understanding my suffering. <clears throat> I'm rejoicing now. Those suffering is like, imagine the gym that God uses to strengthen us. In my office, I have a set of dumbbells. And I have two one pound in the top because my son likes to do exercises with me. And you might think those are his. And he thinks it's his. Actually, are mine. <laughs> I use the one pound. And you say, well, that's easy for me. I can lift up the 20. But when that one pound lifting us a thousand times, I'm worn out. <laughs> this is what we need to think about the exercising of our faith. Every circumstance that we're facing, even though sometimes we don't feel like it, are helping us to grow and mature more and more. It was A.W. Tozer who says, it's doubtful where a God, that God, whether a God can bless a man greatly and did he hurt him deeply. And I know some people have problems with that, but the emphasis of this author is that in many ways, God is allowing suffering to happen for a purpose. And his purpose is greater than ours. So it builds perseverance, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. This is more enduring. It develops character and patience. And then it yields to hope. Because the character proven and tested leads to hope. A forward-looking confidence that God will see us through this. Why we can endure this? In the, in the verse number five, he's telling us the reason. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we have the Holy Spirit. That's the warranty that we have and that's the strength that we need. But at the same time, like we're going to see in different verses, we have an assurance. Because of that, Christ died. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is God's ultimate proof of his love and he gave it to all of us who were unworthy, who were helpless. So this is the first benefit. The other one is going to be faster than the first one, so be ready. The second benefit that we have is that we have unconditional love. We have unconditional love. Same verse, verse 5. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Verse 6. For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You need to mark helpless. You need to mark ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone will dare even to die. Paul is not missing any of his words here. He's telling us that the human condition before the transformative power of God's love, it was helpless, powerless. We were weak, that's the original verse. John 5, 5 tells us that somebody with a strength, somebody totally dependent. But this is not just when we were helpless, we were also ungodly. There was no merely any description of spiritual ineptitude, but a moral indictment. This is the sovereign truth. We couldn't save ourselves. Even if we tried, we couldn't save ourselves. 
No matter how hard we tried, we were spiritually bankrupt, running away from God as fast as we can, as fast as the little legs can take us. We already noted that Paul mentioned that we were powerless. So this is the reality. But we have his great love demonstrated through Christ. Remember John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whomever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's a demonstration. It was costly because it cost the life of his son, but it was for us, instead of us, in place of us. Telling about the substitutory place. For us who were unworthy recipients of that love. But that's the beauty of this amazing love that God gave us. That's the character of God's love. And secondly, that's the demonstration of God's love. Verse 8, but God demonstrated his love for, toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in place of us, in place of us. So a few people might possibly be willing to die to save somebody else. You as parents might be willing to give your life to save the children. But I doubt that somebody will give the life for somebody else that that person doesn't know. In this case, God's amazing love covered us. He gave his life for everybody, all of them, the entire world. But he didn't do it necessarily because he was a good human being. He did it because that was the only way that we can come closer. This is the exhibit A that Paul is presenting. Paul places the verb die at the final of every slot of the sentence, accentuating the importance. He died. How do you know that God loves you? Christ died. His son died for all of us. In summary, God's love surpasses human understanding. In this love he gave us, it was costly for him, but he gave it as a gift. All what we need to do is to accept it. We who were unworthy recipients. So we have an unshakable hope through Christ. We have an unconditional love through Christ. And last benefit, we have an unbreakable security through Christ. Paul is reaching us the climax in this argument. He's unveiling the ultimate manifestation of God's love, the unbreakable security in Christ. The assurance that not one dimensional, it spans to the past, the present, and the future. This is the different facets of the salvation that we enjoy. For instance, we talked about justification the last time. Mention it again in verses 9 and 10. Justification is our shield against divine wrath. Justification is a term rooted in legal language. It signifies the act of, of God declaring righteous or innocent based on the faith deposited in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. In this divine act, God's wrath against sin was satisfied. Another word for satisfied is propitiated. Remember the propitiatory in the Ark of the Covenant when the blood was put him inside? So he was satisfied. His wrath was appeased in many ways through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Therefore, justification serves as our escape from eternal separation from God. But the central premise of this powerful truth if God saved us when we were still sinners, when we were still enemies, when we were powerless, 
how much he will secure our salvation now that we are his children. Isn't that great? This assurance isn't just a final thought. This is a central belief that we have and that we need to embrace thanks to Jesus Christ. So justification is our shield against divine wrath. It says, it's a covenant sealed by blood. Verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. <clears throat> we are eternal secured by his resurrection and life. Verse 10, for if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved for his life. So we have justification. In verse 11, talk about reconciliation. Reconciliation is restore relationships. He summed up every theological discourse in this verse. And he says, verse 11, and not only this, but we also exalt in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. While justification addressed the judicial aspect of salvation, being saved from God's wrath, reconciliation is about a relationship facet. It transitions from being saved from to being saved to. Through Christ's sacrifice, not only our legal standing before God is corrected, but our broken relationship with him has been mended. You see, when we commit a sin, we don't lose our salvation, but we lost our relationship, the fellowship with him. That's the relationship that is mended when we come to him and with sincerity of heart, we repent. But our life, our spiritual life is securing him. He got it from us. It's a gift. It's his prerogative. It's nothing that I deserve. It's not about me. It's about God. Paul echoes this in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not continuing people, not counting people's sin against them. You see, reconciliation, the barriers of sin are alienated from us. God has torn down the dividing wall. That is not restraining to enjoy the fellowship with him anymore. But we come to him and ask forgiveness. So there is joy in the unity that we have with God. And there is joy also that we can boast about what God was able to accomplish and gave it to us as a benefit. That's the assurance of the reconciliation that we have. As we conclude today's sermon, I want you to imagine something else. <clears throat> Remember this illustration that I used at the beginning about the benefits? Well, now think about the same scenario. You just started your dream job, and they handed to you the package, an envelope from HR with all the impressive benefits that you will receive as an employee of that company. All of them. You got home, imagine health insurance, retirement savings, paid time off, all the perks that you expected from a dream job. But you got home <clears throat> and you do nothing with that package. You just put it in your living room and forget about it. What good will be those benefits 
if you didn't open the package, pull out the form and start signing each one of those forms and requesting the benefits. Nothing. Yes, they're yours, but you cannot enjoy it because you didn't care to open those benefits. All those incredible benefits we won't claim. They exist, but they will be irrelevant. You cannot enjoy it. You get sick and you pay in the urgent care. You don't have to go to the doctor and pay the copays because you don't have the benefits because you didn't sign it. You see how ridiculous that can be? They're yours, but you don't claim it. Well, that's exactly what we do with God's benefits. God has handed each one of us an unparalleled benefit package through Jesus Christ, uncheckable hope, unconditional love, and unbreakable security. But let me ask you, what good are those benefits if they are left unclaimed, sealed in an envelope, untouched, and gathering dust like a Bible in your living room? Don't just listen to this sermon, please. Don't just walk outside and forget what you heard today. Don't just nod in agreement and then forget what I just said. No. You and I, we were called to do more, much more than that. So I have a challenge for you. I challenge to each one of you, and me is included here, to do something radical this week. You're going to open your divine, divine package of benefit, God's benefits for you. And how? Very simple, in three ways. The first, you're going to cultivate unshakable hope. That's the first benefit that you're going to open. Spend time in prayer this week. Focus solely on thanking God for the hope that you have in Christ. This amazing hope that you're receiving from him. No requests, no complaints, no ask, just thanksgiving. Are you ready? That's number one. Number two, show a conditional, unconditional love. This week, reach out to someone, someone that you know is struggling. It might be a friend, it might be a family member, it might be a, even a stranger. Show them love, not just in words, but in action. Provide a meal to somebody who needs it. Maybe a listening ear, invite somebody for a coffee. Or a helping hand to a neighbor who, who is more in the yard doing something. Just show unconditional love. You don't have to Show something so the person can repay you back. That's not unconditional. That's conditional. Just show unconditional love, the same love that you receive from God. Number three, live in an unbreakable security. Live in that state. Dive into God's word. Pick a passage and speak to God and ask him for his protection. And write down those promises that you read. Meditate on them. Write them. Claim them as your own. Those who are your own. And somebody really, really amazingly this week asked me to pray in this way. He said, when you pray, ask God for what you need. He said, Lord, I ask you for this and whatever, whatever other thing that you have best for me. Meditate on this. Pause. Remind yourself that you are eternally secure in God's hands. So don't fret. Don't worry. Even if the whole world is crumbling you are secure in the arms of the one who sustained you. That's what you need to be careful. So I'm going to challenge you to a radical part. 
I'm going to ask you to stand up. Wherever you are, please stand on your feet. You got two, right? Standing. I will challenge you this morning to share these benefits with someone who doesn't know Christ. Tell them about the hope that you have. Show them the love that you're experiencing. And speak to them about the security that they can find in Christ, the same security that you have. So don't keep those divine benefits for yourself. They're yours, but yours to share. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Turn to the person that you have next to you. And before you leave from this place, tell that person that you have next to you, in front of you, behind you. Or even tell it to yourself or tell me that I'm in front of you. I accept the challenge. Can you say it? I accept the challenge. I cannot hear you. I accept the challenge. One more time. I accept the challenge because it's worth it, because of the benefits that we receive today. Friends, this divine benefit package God offers to you will transform your life and transform the life of others that you share this benefit with. God didn't entrust us with these benefits to hoard them, but to administrate them and to share them. And he is going to keep us accountable. One day he's going to ask, what do you do with the talent that I gave you? What do you do with the benefits that I bestowed upon you? And you will say, Lord, I share it. Great, good and faithful servant. Come into the presence of your Lord. Are those the words that you want to hear from the one who give you everything? Start leaving those benefits today. Let's pray. Father God, we are in know for the incredible benefit package that you offer to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And they are us to claim because of our faith that we deposited on him. Thank you. Thank you for that unshakable hope that even though everything seems to crumble around me, I can remain, stand firm, knowing, Father, that you are here in front of me and living inside me. Thank you for that unconditional love that despite that I was your enemy, you loved me and you rescued me. When I was weak, you made me strong. When I was absent, you made me familiar and part of your family. And thank you, Father, for that unbreakable security that we find in Jesus. Thank you for reminding us, Father, that it's not up to us, but it's up to you what you were able to accomplish in that cross to your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to be mindful of these blessings. And maybe we'll boast on you. Maybe we anchor in the hope of your promise, expressing your love to those around us, even though those who don't deserve it. And let's secure in the knowledge that we are yours forever and ever, Lord. And we ask you this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we all say, Amen.